What is up, everybody? Hey, thanks. <laughs> you know I'm going to expect this from every week on now forward, right? All right, this is a one-time deal. But hey, I'm curious, how many golfers do we got? And before you, you tell me, right, let me just define what a golfer means. Right? I'm talking about someone who isn't great at golf, but someone who just loves going out and playing a round of golf. If that's you, you're a golfer, come on, show me your hands at Webster online. Okay, we got some golfers in, in the house, all right? And, you know, some of you are my people. I love to play golf. I do. I love getting outside and the beautiful sunshine. I love a game that you can swing as hard as you can at something and it's okay. Um, I just like the game of golf. And every time I get a chance to go out and play, I really do enjoy it. But if you've played golf before, you know this. Golf is a, a challenging game. It can be a frustrating game. It's not a game that you just go out and pick it up and you're just natural at it. You gotta practice and you gotta get good at it. And if, if you know me, I'm, I'm a little bit competitive. And I'm not very good at golf. And so it frustrates me, it bothers me. But the worst thing about golf, especially when you're not good at it, is if you play around a golf, there's gonna, there's gonna become a moment where you're addressing your ball, you're getting ready to hit your ball, maybe it's on the first tee box or on a hole where someone's passing by, and, and here's proper etiquette in golf, right? As I address my ball, anybody in the vicinity kind of stops and stares at you while you hit your ball. And you know, for all you good golfers out there, this is great news, because you're like, yeah, watch this, here goes nothing, and boom, there it goes. But for guys like me who get up there, and here's the reality, I have no clue where this ball's about to go, <laughs> okay? I might smash it, you know, a couple hundred yards straight, and if I do, you know I'm gonna walk away like, yeah, that's how it goes every time, baby. <laughs> but you, I also know that this could go left, this could go right, this could hit that tree and go backwards, like there is no telling where this ball is going. And, and it feels awful knowing you're about to hit the ball and there's five guys there and a guy over there staring at you and guess what they're gonna do? They're gonna make a judgment on how good of a golfer you are based off of one swing. It better be a good one. And have you ever felt that before? Maybe it wasn't in golf, but you felt that feeling of judgment. People were watching you and they were going to make a judgment call based off of a moment in your life. It's not a fun feeling. And did you realize that a lot of people are nervous, sometimes terrified to walk in the doors of one of the campuses or a campus of a church because they're afraid they might feel that feeling, that they might be judged by the people of the church. And judgment is prevalent in our culture. And what's interesting is it was prevalent in Jesus's culture. And so he addresses this very topic in Matthew chapter seven. And so if you got your Bibles, Matthew chapter seven, I encourage you, grab your Bible, grab your phone, turn to Matthew chapter seven. You can jump into the Northridge Church app and take some notes as, as we wander through this message this morning. And as you kind of make your way there, let me just say welcome. Welcome home to each and every one of you. Welcome to the family. Man, I can't tell you how honored we are that you're here. If you don't know who I am, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge Church. And our goal today, our hope for those of you who are guests with us is that you would love your experience enough, that you would feel welcomed enough, that your kids would have a blast today, that you would come back next week and eventually you join the family. You'd be a part of the family of God here at Northridge Church. So welcome to every single one of you. And 
We've been in the middle, if you haven't been with us, we've been in the middle of this series, right? We're getting towards the end. We're calling it Summer on the Mount because all summer long as a church, we've been navigating methodically through Matthew chapter five through Matthew chapter seven. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus is teaching his followers and in the sermon, Jesus kind of hits all different topics. I mean, in this message series, we've talked about marriage and divorce, We've talked about sexual desire. We've talked about being salt and light. We've talked about where you invest your treasure. Jesus kind of hits about all kinds of different topics in this sermon. And here in Matthew 7, he addresses something that is prevalent in his culture and is prevalent in our culture today. It's this idea of judging others. Let's look at what he says, Matthew 7, verse 1. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, before we dive too heavy into what Jesus says, we have to remember the context of who Jesus is talking to. He's on this mountainside, and he's talking to believers. So when he talks about judgment, he's talking about judgment of one Christian to another, I don't know where in Christianity we got this idea that it's a really good idea to judge people far from God. Jesus never talks about that, but somehow we do it a lot. But Jesus is talking about the context of judging another believer, calling out sin in somebody else. And I know when we we read these, these first three words, we get excited, right? Do not judge. And everyone's like, yes, baby. I knew Jesus said this. I was trying to tell somebody when they tried to judge me, hey, Jesus says, do not judge. So don't judge me. Stop looking at me weird. (laughs) Right? It's obvious. Jesus says to not judge. Or did he say that? You see, many of us, we have stopped at the first three words of the passage, and we've assumed something about the passage that Jesus never meant to say in the passage. Right? It's fascinating to me how we've gotten this passage so wrong because judgment is so prevalent in our culture, we just don't want to feel it because it can't be a good thing. But the reality is, is Jesus is not issuing issuing a command here to not judge. He's issuing a warning on how you do judge. He's saying, be careful how you judge because that same standard you use to judge others will be used against you. Jesus says, he, he doesn't say we shouldn't judge, but Jesus teaches us in this passage how to judge correctly. He's saying to us, there's a righteous way to judge and there's an unrighteous way to judge. And unfortunately for our culture and the church today, we're really good at the unrighteous way. And Jesus is correcting something he sees in his followers, in Christians who have become so judgmental. Does this sound like us today? Maybe, unfortunately. And so Jesus here is not saying we shouldn't judge. We make judgments all the time. It's part of our life. Right, think of, of you in an interview. Are we just no longer allowed to, to do interviews for work and make judgment calls on people? Think of as a parent, are we no longer allowed to make judgment calls about our children? Jesus isn't saying you can't do those things. He's saying, wow, when you do them, be very careful. When you do them, do them in a righteous way. And so he warns us. And I wanna talk about three warnings of judgment that we have to be careful of. The first one, we have to be careful of judging people's motives. It's amazing to me how often we do this, where we assume something about somebody that we can actually never have an indication of. Right, when we judge others, often when we judge others, we go beyond the bounds of human judgment. 
This is why the Bible calls God the ultimate judge, because he has a capacity and ability to do something that we can't, guess what it is, see into the heart of somebody. Right? He can judge motive, he can judge emotion and intention, and yet we think because God does it, we should do it, false. Many of us, when we, we've run into problems by judging people because we've assumed their intention or their motive, we've got it wrong and it's created havoc in a relationship. And what's hard in our culture today that Jesus didn't have to face in his culture was we speak different languages. In Jesus' culture, you just talked face to face. But in our culture, most of our, our language is through a text message or through an email. And guess what you can't assume in those things? Emotion and intention. If you do, you're going to be in trouble. Thank the Lord for emojis. At least now I kind of know where you're coming at, right? Like, oh, those are hearts. I think that means a good thing, right? But the problem is, is we've tried to do something that we don't have the ability to do, is to, 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 to assume somebody's motives. And when we do that, it gets us into trouble when it comes to judgment. Right? I've done this so much in my marriage where my wife will send me a text message that she doesn't mean to offend me, but I take it in an offensive way and it takes me down a bunny trail that she never wanted for me because I've assumed her motives. And when we judge, we have to be very careful we don't judge people's motives. That's God's job, right? This is why the Bible in 1 Corinthians says this. Paul says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. The ultimate judge is God. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. And guess what he's going to do? The very thing we can. He's going to bring into light what is hidden in the darkness and expose the motives of the heart. We can't do that, so let's leave it to God to do that. So when we judge, be careful that you don't judge somebody's motives. Second warning, be careful of your heart when judging others. This is really important. Because here's what I think has, has come to judgment today. Here's what I think judgmental lifestyles has become. is It's just become a window in our life to point everybody else's faults out so no one sees ours. Right, this is why how we use judgment today is, hey, I don't want anybody to see my dysfunction, my sin, my struggle, so I'll spend a lot of my time showing everybody else's struggle so no one will look at mine. And we need to gauge, when it comes to judging others, we need to gauge right on our heart, a radar on our heart, and the first place that we look before we judge anybody else is where our heart is traveling in the process. Because here's what's fascinating. When you live in a lifestyle that is full of judging others, it actually takes your heart to the place of the people you're judging about. Right, let me show you how this works in the Bible. Jesus talks about these religious leaders, right? These, what we would call pastors in the society. They were righteous men. But in their righteousness, they became so confident in how good they were that they judged people who weren't as good as them and their heart became unrighteous because of their judgment. Let me show you, Luke chapter 18, it says this, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else and judged everybody else, Jesus told this parable. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, a religious leader, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. You can just hear the judgment in his prayer. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like, you know, this guy over here, this tax collector. Because I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. 
And right here is this religious leader, this supposedly righteous man. And what does he find himself doing? Judging somebody else. And what he doesn't realize is through his judgmental lifestyle, it's led his heart to the same place the people he's judging. So we have to be careful when we judge others that we have to keep a radar, a gauge on our heart and where it's going. The third warning, be careful of judging people without the proper information. This seems kind of obvious. Seems like, oh, this is common sense. Like before I make a judgment call, how about I I get the right information? I get the whole information. But unfortunately, that's not the way we do it, right? We just, we just know, oh, the, the, the news station is gonna give me all the information I need and therefore I can make a judgment, right? That's the way we work today in society. Instead of putting the onus on us to gather the information before we make a judgment call. That's a wise thing to do, right? The book of wisdom, Proverbs 18, it says to answer or to judge before listening or gathering information, that's folly and that's shame. And if you want to look foolish, make a judgment call before you get the information. You'll have to eat your words eventually. The Bible says that's a folly, that's shame. Why would we do that? That's what we ultimately call gossip. That's why gossip is so prevalent in our culture because we'd rather make judgment calls on people rather than getting to know the people we're actually judging. And God sets a standard for this. He sets an example of this. If you go back to the the beginning of the Bible, like Genesis, right? Adam and Eve are created in a perfect world. They're given one command. They break the command of God. And, And what does God do? God comes down, and he doesn't come down with his wrath and his judgment on Adam and Eve. He doesn't say, you did this, how could you? No, he comes down to the garden, and guess what he does? He gathers the information, even though he knew the information. God, in his sovereignty, still comes down and says, Adam, Eve, Did you do what I told you not to do? He gets the information. And many of us, we need to learn from God's example. Because Jesus here is not telling us that we shouldn't judge others. He says we should judge others in the righteous and godly way. It's a warning to all of us. And then really what he does over the next couple verses is he gives us a wrong way to judge and a right way to judge. Let's look at the wrong way. He says this in verse three. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? And so Jesus says, you want to know an unrighteous way to judge? It's the hypocritical judge. It's the judge who points out everybody else's sin and yet still struggles with that very sin. Right? And and, and can I tell you, one of the major reasons why so many people don't want to come to church or get to know Jesus is, you've probably heard it before, oh, that church is just full of hypocrites. Right? And and honestly, yeah, it's true. That's us. (laughs) Sorry. But can I tell you, church, there's a level of hypocrisy that shouldn't be true about us, and this is it. A level of hypocrisy where we struggle with things, but we're too busy to address what we struggle with because we're too busy pointing out what people struggle with. And Jesus is warning against this type of judgment. He gives us a a metaphor, a picture. He says, how can somebody with a two by four sticking out of their face look at somebody else and say, yo, hey, I think you got some sawdust in your eye, bro. It's it's such a a ridiculous illustration, but you know what's sad? That's us. 
It's laughable, the example, but yet that is who we are so many times. Where we call out people's sin, the very sin that we are battling and waging war against in our own heart. Now I wanna pause here and I wanna make a note because it's really important to know this. What Jesus is not saying is that you have to be perfect to help somebody else with sin. He's not saying that because if he was, none of us could help anybody else out because we're far from perfect, fallen short of the glory of God. What Jesus is saying is out of wisdom and common sense, it doesn't make sense for you to help somebody who's struggling with sin that you struggle with. Right? That's a hypocrite. Don't call somebody else's sin out in their life that you're battling with in your life. And I think what we often miss when it comes to sin is how powerful it is in our lives, how it distorts the way we see things and how we judge people. Because sin will change the way we see people. It will distort, it will make us angry towards people. And I wanna talk about two ways sin impacts how you judge people. When you're hiding sin in your life, it's gonna change the way you judge. First way it's gonna change is sin can cause you to become blind to your sin but heighten everybody else's sin. Am I guilty of this? Yeah. I know I am. When I'm, I'm, I'm battling with something sinful in my life, it's so much easier to ignore my issue and be like, yo, you see that girl? You see that guy? Oh, can't believe they do that. They call themselves a Christian. Whew, not acting like that. It's the truth, that's how we live. But what's interesting is when we have sin in our own hearts, it causes us to become numb, blind, and ignore the sin in our life. But man, can we see everybody else's sin? Can we point out everybody else's sin? It's because sin has distorted our mind. The second way sin impacts how you judge is sin causes you to judge harshly against others, but ignore the same sin in your life. One area sin really distorts our minds when it comes to judging people is the people who are living in the same sin we are, we want God to bring the thunder down on them, right? Like, God, smite them, almighty smiter. Like, let them know they're sinners. But hey, God, me, don't worry about me. I got this, okay? I got this. this it's amazing how sin can distort our minds. And if you ever wonder what this looks like, let me show you in the Bible. We see this in, in a guy's life. His name was David. And if you don't know anything about David's life, David had a really good run at it. David early on was a giant slayer. He was a hero. He became king over all of Israel. And in the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. That's who David was, but some point in David's life, he thought his way was better than God's way, and it led him to become an adulterer. It led him to become a murderer to cover up his sin of adultery. And David as the king is powerful enough to kind of smooth over his sin, cover it up, where most people don't know about it. And he lives this life full of sin and it's covered up. At least that's what he thinks. But then God sends a prophet to David and Nathan the prophet comes to David and he tells him a story about a guy's sin. David doesn't realize it's his own. Look what the prophet says to David. Second Samuel, Nathan says to David, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, it grew up with him and his children, it shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. 
Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for, for a traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. And so Nathan is telling David the story of this guy. He doesn't know, but he's, he's giving an illustration, and it's a really simple illustration. There's a rich guy, lots of lambs. There's a poor guy, one little baby lamb. But this lamb is more than just like a meal. This lamb is a pet. This, this lamb is like his daughter. And I know everybody judges the guy who has the little you lamb, but I've seen some of you with your pets on Facebook, okay? So <laughs> no judgment here, right? It's kind of the whole message, you know? And here's what happens. A, a person traveling visits the rich man with a lot of sheep, and instead of barbecuing one of his sheep, he takes the only sheep the poor guy has, and he barbecues it and serves it to his traveler. And you can imagine, what a jerk, right? What a, what a, what a, man, that guy needs punched in the face. And look how David responds. David feels the same way. He's like, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, that man who did this must die. I wonder if David would have said that if he knew he was the guy. Right? You see how sin distorts our mind? To judge somebody else's sin more harshly? David's like, he must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And it must have shocked David when Nathan said, oh, by the way, David, that's you. That's you and that's often me. Because it's so easy to find fault in everybody else, but rather than ourselves. And so Jesus says, you see that type of judgment? That's not the way you wanna go. But he says, let me show you an example of righteous judgment. He says, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Again, Jesus is not saying we can't judge, because right here, this person, he says, take the four, two by four out of your eye, take the plank out of your eye, so you can see clearly to help somebody else out. He says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to pigs. If they do, they may trample under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And I love how Jesus ends. It gets really weird where he's like, man, pearls and pigs and dogs and sacred. You're like, what the heck, Jesus, are you talking about? But here's something I think we miss about judgment, about judging others, is in our culture today, when you get judged, it's always a negative connotation. Someone is judging you. But what Jesus is telling us as his Christ followers, he's saying when we judge people in a righteous way, it can be a sacred thing. It can be like a pearl. Because what does judgment bring in a righteous way? Growth in your relationship with God. I don't know about you today, church, but when I walk away from God, I need someone to, bold enough to judge me and say, no, I won't let you go that way. That direction, you're, Jesus is saying this is important, this is huge in your spiritual growth, we need it. And so how do we judge in a righteous way? Well, Jesus says the best way to do that is to look within before you look out. Before you ever judge anybody else, why don't you take a good hard look at your life and your sin? Deb Reeve from our Webster campus at Pre-Preach, she said it like this, I thought this was beautiful. She says, look at the mirror before you look out the window. And I, I think for some of us, we've lost our mirror because we've been looking out the window. I think for some of us today, we've gotten so caught up in finding everybody else's sin out, we forgot that we struggle with sin on our own. 
And maybe today we, 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 we reorient our minds to judge righteously. And the, a part of that equation is, hey, before I look at you, before I look at anybody else, I'm going to look at the depths of my soul and my sin, and I'm going to get that straight first. My mom used to say it to, to me like this as a kid. I never really understood what she was saying, but she always said, tend to your own knitting, Drew. And I would roll my eyes at her. I was like, mom, no one knows what that means, Okay. <laughs> What she was saying is just take care of yourself first. And it's interesting, as I'm a parent of four kids now, it's like I'll come for full circle because what I've learned about my kids is anytime they get in like a little bit of a scuffle between uh, our own kids, here's what they do is they race to get to the mommy or daddy first because they want to tell their side of the story, right? They want to tell you like, hey, let me tell you what they did to me. And you, you need to know how bad they were. And so a lot of times with my kids, the first one who comes is often telling on somebody else. And I love this question with my kids. I was like, hey, Joel, hey, Ruby K, hey, Malachi, what did you do to make them do that to you? Why don't you take a good look at what you did? Look in the mirror first before you point your finger somewhere else. And I think... I've forgotten that, and we've forgotten that. It's so easy to point somebody else's faults out because it disguises ours. And maybe today we readjust our minds to look within before we ever look without. Jesus says, you wanna know how you do that? You remove the plank. You remove the sin that is in your life first. And it sounds simple, but this is a hard journey to take to reorient our minds. And I wanna talk about three practical ways that we remove our planks in our lives. The first thing is an attitude adjustment. It really is, and I think that attitude adjustment to remove the plank, the first thing we have to do is we must take sin seriously. Listen to me, like, this is so important. I, I, I just think in Christianity today, if we could just get to the place in our lives where we saw sin the way God sees sin. If we could understand how devastating and destructive sin really is. Because here's what I know about my life and here's what I know about your life. You want to know why we choose sin? Because we still think it's pleasurable. Because we still think it's exciting and fun. And, and if we see sin that way, we're going to continue to choose it. But can I tell you, God would never describe sin as pleasurable. God would never describe sin as fun or exciting because he sees sin differently than we do. And if only we could get to, to look at sin through the lens of God's eyes, if only we could see how much God hates sin, if we could only see how much God knew how destructive sin was, from the little sins that we don't think are that big of a deal to the big sins, if we only knew where they led in our relationships, in our life, maybe we would look at sin a little bit differently. Look what the Bible says about God. It says in Psalms 45, it says, you love righteousness, but you hate wickedness. You hate evil. You hate sin. And I think we gotta get to a place where we hate sin. Not, not ooh, I, I, you know, I hate some sins, Drew. I'm with you, but some sins are, are I, I, they still draw me. No, all sin. It changed the way we view it. Secondly, we have to constantly evaluate our lives for sin. If we want to remove the plank, we have to look within first. And that means we have to evaluate our lives continuously, daily, to say, God, help me see what I can't see. 
You think about David, right? David was a guy who got caught up in sin and, and you know what happened? David who committed adultery, David who, who couldn't see his own sin, who covered up his sin, guess what that sin cost him? His firstborn child. Don't tell me sin is not devastating and destructive. I'm sure David, if he knew it was gonna cost him his firstborn son, he wouldn't have picked that choices, but we don't see sin the way God does. And we have to evaluate. And so David later on in his life, in Psalms 139, guess what he says? He prays this prayer, he says, God, search me investigate me God and you know what I want you to find I want you to find any wickedness any evil and any sin and any rebellion that is in me and I want you to remove it God I want you to rid me of it and I think that's got to be a prayer we pray every day because I don't know about you but I'm a really good sinner I'm not bragging. Like, I just, we are really good at sin. We are prone to wander. We live in the flesh more than we live in the spirit. We got to step into the spirit and we got to ask God, God, help me see what I can't see. God, refresh my mind and renew my mind that I would walk in your ways. And then part of that journey is the third step to remove the plank. You got to ask others to see what you can't. One of the best things you can do in your life practically when it comes to the battle with sin is find a best friend and give them the keys to call you out on it. One of the best things I've done in my marriage with my wife Ashley is we've both given each other the keys to say, hey, if you see me acting in a way that doesn't honor God, you tell me. Here's the key, you have permission to do that. And she said the same thing to me. Hey, if you see me doing something that doesn't honor God, that is in disobedience to God, please, let me know. And I'll be honest, it doesn't always go the, the way I would like it to go. Right? It, it, both ways. But you know what happens? Is when somebody you love and someone you trust calls you out, and maybe I don't respond the best way. Guess what the Spirit does? He works. He digs. And guess what he does? He shows me the error of my ways. And some of you, you just need your community group leader, your best friend, your spouse, someone you trust that loves Jesus with their whole heart and say, hey, when I walk away from Jesus, you pull me back. You come and get me, you fight for me. And what Jesus does here in this passage is I think something we need as a church, something that we need as a culture is learning to judge people in a righteous way. Because righteous judgment produces growth. And Jesus here teaches us a healthy way to judge. But you know what scares me more than being judged by somebody else? Honestly, being judged by other people, I mean, it scares me, but it's not terrifying. I feel like I, feel like I get judged every Sunday, right? Like, okay, Drew, seven and a half this week, we're gonna have to get that to a 10, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but when you're judged by another human, at the worst level, right, you can easily just look back at them and be like, well, yeah, I, I know I got a bunch of stuff wrong, but let me tell you all the stuff you got wrong, right? Like, you can at least point your finger back, but you know what terrifies me and what I think should terrify all of us is being judged by God. Because, you know, when, when you go to point your finger at God, it, dang, there's nothing wrong with you. I can't point at any negative or any sinful thing. You're perfect. You're holy. And it, tears, it terrifies me to stand before a holy God and him to see all my baggage and all my sin and, and to know I called myself a pastor. 
That terrifies me, but I got good news for everyone here today who knows Jesus Christ as a personal savior. For every single individual who lives with Christ, who walks with Christ, who is, he is your leader, he is your forgiver through his cross and resurrection. Look what the Bible says about God's judgment towards you. Romans 8.1, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means today? That I deserve God's judgment, but because of Jesus' cross and his resurrection that has been poured over my life, God doesn't judge me, bring his wrath out on me, but when he looks at me, he doesn't see a sinner, he sees the righteousness of God because of Jesus Christ. Come on, church, that's good news today. <laughs> Let the gravity of that sit in for a second. We are all sinners. We all deserve God's wrath, but Jesus took it upon himself. And so when God sees you, he sees a righteous son or daughter for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Now there is bad news because those of you who have still rejected God, there is not that free gift. There is condemnation, there is judgment, but Jesus is only a prayer away. He's only a call. He's ready to rescue you if you want him. So here's what we're gonna do. I love the gospel and I love being reminded of what Jesus has done in my life regularly. And one way we do that as a church is through communion. And communion is for believers. It's for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And communion is just symbols, right? It's just a, a really bad cup of grape juice and a really bad cracker. It really is but it reminds us of what Jesus did for us. His blood that was sacrificed, his blood that was shed, his body that was broken for us. And so our bands are gonna come and sing a song reminding us of the gospel. And here, here's what I want you to do, is I want you to revel and celebrate in that sacrifice of Jesus, but I also want us to look inside of our lives and get serious about the sin that's there that we know doesn't belong. And so reflect on that. And so I'd ask at all of our campuses, if you would stand with me, you can grab that, that cup and that juice. We're gonna take it in a little moment. We're gonna worship a little bit and then we're gonna take part, take of that, but you wanna get that ready. So let's stand and let's worship with our bands as we prepare for communion.